Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insights to help you to lead, manage, and coach in football, sports, and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA, and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league, and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome back to Leader Manager Coach. Rob Riles here and today we're going to carry on with our deep dive or our relatively deep dive. You could go an awful lot deeper into this but we're going to cover the next few key chapters, bright lines, headings from the art of war. So up to now the first few that we've covered the first four strategy doing battle planning a siege and formation which was in the previous podcast today i'm gonna look at how to successfully use force something called emptiness and fullness how to successfully use strengths and weaknesses armed combat how to successfully engage in armed combat and adaptation how to successfully adapt if we get chance and it goes well we'll move on to possibly maneuvering how to win away from home. I love that. Absolutely love it. Okay, so what is it about football where there is such an issue with winning away from home? That is a question, isn't it? That is a question. Okay, so leave that. Let's come on to number five, force. How to successfully use force. So it's almost one of those things. Force is force, isn't it, at the end of the day? Um, and I'm not sure whether force is the right word um, there's, a, there's an amazing book called Power Versus Force. The guy who wrote its name eludes me, but it is, I know I use this word too much sometimes, it is a powerful, powerful book. I'm sure the guy's named David, and perhaps it'll come to me. Somebody can remind me on social media what it is, Power Versus Force. So anyway, chapter five, how to use force. Quote from the book, when the speed of rushing water reaches the point where it can move boulders, this is the force of momentum. When the speed of a hawk is such that it can strike and kill, this is precision. So it is with skillful warriors. Oh, I absolutely love that. So we've got the water analogy, that total fluidity, but it not only can make us a nice cup of tea, it can move boulders and change the structure of the earth. And it talks about being able to do that when it has momentum behind it. Andy Kale wrote an amazing book called Momentum in football. Again, so that's something else we can look at in the future. But momentum is massive in football, isn't it? How often have we been elated with our team? We think, oh, everything's going well. And then all of a sudden, we concede. And our mindset is totally, totally different. The mindset of our players and the mindset of the opposition, the mindset of the crowd. And in that split second that decisive moment in the game, momentum has shifted. And momentum is enormous in football. And this chapter is particularly about momentum. So Sun Tzu, who was, I believe, the one who's um, thought to have written The Art of War, emphasises the value of momentum. It can make the timid brave, you know? So that time when you've perhaps got a couple of youngsters on your team or somebody who's not quite believing and you get up that momentum and you start putting pressure on and, and the crowd are on your side and you win a tackle and you're up and you've got a couple of corners and like even the 
the 17 year old who's thinking, oh my days, you know, can I cope with this? Suddenly sticks his chest out, strikes a great ball into the box and the whole thing has changed. You know, so momentum, momentum, momentum. It talks again about the natural ebb and flow to force. And how many of us recognize this, that we can't force everything? How many times have you in life tried to do something or achieve something and you find yourself coming up against a brick wall? And if you're the kind of go-getting person who believes in themselves and thinks, you know, just apply a bit more, 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 keep going, keep going, relentlessly, relentlessly, relentless, and it's not happening. And you have to take a step back and you take a breather and you come at it again, and suddenly, somehow, different day, different mindset, boom, just occurs. That's the natural ebb and flow to life, I think, that we don't always understand why. We don't understand why, and it's beyond us. And if you try and force things indefinitely, you know it doesn't always guarantee a success, but nature will take care of it at some point, because nothing continues forever. No football match has a 99 to 1 possession ratio. I've never seen it, never heard of it. I'm not sure I ever will. I've seen 70-30, and some of you may have seen even different ones than that, and I'm sure you can relate to that and maybe give me some examples. Um, but it's using force when it's with you, and I think this message is saying, you know, try and understand to learn to understand, and maybe this comes with wisdom and it comes with age and it comes with experience. Sit it out, sit it out, sit it out, sit it out. It's not the right time, it's not the right time. But when it is the right time, that is the time to strike and absolutely go for the jugular and make sure you are as ruthless as you can possibly be at that particular moment in time so that you strike and get an advantage. So it talks about momentum. So, And if we're talking about football, momentum is a key in football matches. And you have to understand. Let's give an example here. How many of you can relate to this? You're out there. You score just before halftime and you go into that halftime break and it's killed your momentum because you're now 1-0 up. But actually, it's given you that breathing space because often we are most vulnerable when we've scored. In a way, it's a positive, but also it's a negative because you, you perhaps got a little bit of head of steam up, you've got some momentum and actually the rules of the game have dictated that you know you can't carry on that. And if you've any experience in the game, it's probably likely that in the second half you are going to come very quickly under the cosh because the opposition are going to go do you know what we're not having this we're going to go straight out there and we're going to go straight on the front foot so if you try to go and force that momentum from the first minute of the second period maybe and it's only a maybe that's not the right thing to do i don't know you're going to have to decide in your situation with your team in all the circumstances what the right thing to do is but momentum will certainly play a part in your game and experience can be a great thing in that. Next chapter, it's called emptiness and fullness. Quote to sum it up, so a military force has no constant formation. Again, it refers back to that fluidity. Water has no constant shape. The Tao constantly refers back to water and nature. The ability to gain victory by changing and adapting according to the opponent is called genius. So, this is a great one for managers, you know, it's talking about being fluid, it's talking about being adaptable, it's talking about using momentum, and it talks about strengths and weaknesses and emptiness and fullness. Weak is empty, full is strong. So if you've got a bucket of water at the top of a hill and it's brimming with water, you could just tip that bucket up and there is some force in that. If you've got a bucket and there's nothing in it but air, it has no power. 
or has relatively little power compared to the bucket of water. So that's what it's talking about. It also talks in this chapter of hiding your strengths. So, you know, if you walk out puffing your chest out, gloating and bragging about what you're going to do to the opposition, how great you are in this area, that area, you are making yourself vulnerable. So humility, meekness, going out there, knowing you've done your training, knowing you've done your preparation, that quiet, calm, poison confidence, walking out, focus, get the job done. That's power. That's power. And that's the difference between power and force. Because go back to the other chapters, you don't have to use brute strength and wear yourself out, which is, again, one of the underlying principles of that amazing martial art, where you use the strength of your opponent to gain victory. It's about using your head. That great moment in Braveheart when the young warriors, the young kid's parent has been killed in battle and his uncle takes over looking after him. He looks him in the eye. There's this scene where his uncle's looking down at him and he says, son, I'm going to teach you to use this. And he points to his head instead of this and points to his arm. So he's saying, I'm going to teach you how to use your brain and your mind and not your muscles. So what does this mean for us as coaches and managers? It means using surprise. It means using our strength to defend all the time. It means testing your enemy and recognizing their response and adapting your approach. It means using your ability to attack from many places and have many possibilities of scoring or gaining victory. So it's using counterattack. It's staying secure. It's learning to attack in different ways. It's possibly using a long ball game. It's using short passing game. It's that fluidity, isn't it? It's that using your strengths without showing your hand, whether you can attack centrally, you can attack from wide, being unpredictable. So it's how to use your strengths. And I think the more it's about not having just one game plan. Number seven, armed struggle. Love this, love it. So unless your heart is wide open and your mind is orderly, this is a quote from the book, you cannot be expected to be able to adapt responsively without limits, dealing with events unerringly, facing great and unexpected difficulties without upset and calmly handling everything without confusion. The title of the chapter is Armed Struggle and it talks about having an open heart and mind and I think that means being vulnerable but being humble enough to understand and learn but adapting and dealing with events. It's talking about defending. So it's not talking about attacking. It's talking about defending first and foremost. And I make no bones about it. This is a very personal thing, but I am an absolute fundamental believer in keeping clean sheets. I am an absolute fundamental believer in the formation. Because from a formation, if you can defend, you know, you've got a chance. If you cannot defend, in my humble opinion, it is only my humble opinion, you haven't got a chance of doing anything great in sport, specifically in football. So in the art of war, they talk about handling struggle so that you can pursue an advantage. They talk about indirect struggle so that you defend, 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 defend. And then when you see your opportunity, as you're seeing, these principles are all interwoven so that you can then go and counterattack. And the directive is one again to win without fighting. So if you have to keep battering your opposition and corner after corner and throwing and throwing and defending and, and attacking and attacking and you're thwarted and thwarted and thwarted 
But if you can just set up and you've got a great formation, you know what you're doing, you know your game plan, and then when that moment occurs, just like that hawk, you spot that opportunity, you're ruthless, and you get that advantage or that goal. That's winning without fighting, and that's what it's referring to here. Again, it refers back in armed struggle to avoid casualties, to have a broad and deep knowledge of your enemy. Skilled scouts, it talks about scouting. You know, there's not so many secrets in today's world of football, is there? There used to be the days when, you know, it's people trying to spy, look through fence holes at training sessions and all the rest of it. You know, media's allowed in these days and there are no secrets really, um, or very few. Have a clear strategy to avoid a fruitless struggle. So if you go out there and just respond to what the opposition do, you're just going to be a reactionary. You know, what about setting the stage? What about creating the circumstances so that you can dictate what happens? So the power is in your hands, at least to start. You know, it talks about the use of in warfare of flags and banners and drums to unite your troops and strike fear into your enemy. So what psychological tactics do you use in your team to gain a psychological advantage, which is a massive thing in armed struggle? Being adaptable, be alert, be aware of tiredness, boredom and weakness in your enemy. Again, that is about knowing and understanding your opposition using the ebb and flow when they've got fatigued when their body language changes when their captain looks degraded when they lose a key player or when somebody in the opposition loses their head can you strike and take advantage of that while you maintain your own strength and calm state of mind do not fight for fighting's sake so you know if you're 2-0 up 3-0 up you need to make a sensible leadership decision. Do you need to keep battering, battering, battering away to get another advantage dependent upon the state of your team? You may well do. That's what you may want to do, you know, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, but it's something to be aware of. So armed struggle. Okay, some great stuff in that. Next one, number eight, adaptations. Adaptation means not clinging to fixed methods, but changing appropriately according to events, acting as is suitable. It's not rocket science, is it, ladies and gentlemen? It's being flexible, being adaptable. So when your players go over that white line, you trust them as your trusted warriors to go and do and adapt to what needs to be done. And yes, you have to have prepared for that. Yes, they have to be educated. Yes, they have had to be in certain situations, both on the training pitch and ideally in previous games and situations. But it's all about understanding Yes, essentially, you've got a game plan, but can you change it? Have you got a plan B? And some people say having a plan B is not necessary. Well, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Okay, so being constantly aware so that you can monitor changes in your own team and the opposition. Can you be aware of that? And can you very quickly adapt to situations? Can you understand and see when you can attack the opposition where they're most vulnerable? And this is another one. Do not let your enemies rest. So can you play a game where the enemies just get psychologically worn out? I think teams who played against the maestros of Barcelona's possession players get psychologically worn out. I think that's one great advantage that that possession type of football has. I think if you've got a team of amazing athletes who run and run and run and run, 
like some of Pep's teams and some of Klopp's teams from Germany particularly, they just cannot cope psychologically with the fact that, you know, they think no matter what I do, these players are just going to run and run and run. They're not going to give us a minute. So adaptable. Can you adapt to the situation so that you can change your point of attack, if you like, or your philosophy at that particular moment in time? Can you sit off? Can you defend? Can you take a breather for 10 minutes, 15 minutes? And I don't mean sit there and not do any work. I mean, just not press high and not go and chase lost causes necessarily. And then can you occasionally stand on the tiger's tail to see where they're vulnerable and take advantage swiftly when the moment arrives? Number nine, maneuvering armies. How does this relate to football? Quick quote, high places are exhilarating so people are comfortable and they are also convenient for the force of momentum. Low ground is damp, which promotes illness and makes it hard to fight. So what does that relate to? That relates to if you're psychologically in a high place, it's comfortable. You're in a better mindset. The negative of that is that you get complacent. You have the convenience of momentum. So if you're flying high, you've got a two goal advantage, everything's going well, all your key players are on the pitch, you feel in control, you've got momentum. Low ground refers to those psychological times when you're under the cosh, you may not be able to get out of your half, you are working to your maximum, you may have lost a player, you're away from home, it's psychologically much more difficult. It could refer to the physical elements of playing on a a lovely pitch, on a lovely day, which suits your players compared to playing on that non-league, tiny, tiny ground with dressing rooms that you're not used to and a muddy pitch and a referee that doesn't seem to be seeing what you see, etc., etc., which is a challenge. I think this manoeuvring army needs to relate in football to travelling to your destination, the logistics of travel. Travel can kill you. It can make you or break you. Know your ground, know your terrain, know how you're getting there. I mean, this is a specific chapter all on its own when we're talking about European travel, but it's enough in, in your own country to talk about travel. But it needs to be done effectively and swiftly and with all the right logistics so the players are happy, healthy, fed, watered, and everything's in order so that you can turn up at that game with maximum focus. Working with the weather and things will go wrong. You know, it's expecting the best, preparing for the worst. What happens if you break down? What happens if somebody's ill, etc., etc., etc.? And that's what it means, essentially. It means taking account of everything, being aware and expecting the best, but preparing for the worst. Okay, I'm going to rattle through the last three. Terrain. Some terrain is easily passable. In some, you get hung up. Some makes for a standoff. Some is narrow. Some is wide open. This relates to very quickly warfare. They're talking about terrain where you can go for it. Sometimes you can't go for it because you will get beaten by the environment. This again relates to football. You'll be in some situations in a game where the environment says, you know, we are unlikely to come away with a result from this. So what do we do? If it's a two-leg affair, you may play out for a draw. Some people say that's so dangerous and it's not for us and so much better to get a result. It's all about subtleties for me, but there are certain circumstances whereby it might be towards the end of the game, you are down to 10 men and you need to not concede. So are you going to try and win the game? Because if you don't concede, you go through or you get a victory or you've got another chance to get into extra time and then get into penalties, which may be what you're hanging out for. So everything hangs on conditions that are very particular to that situation. 
and it's studying and appreciating and understanding those conditions rather than just being naive and just playing on and not having that understanding. When you can attack but have difficulty retreating, you are said to be hung up. So they talk about being hung up as when you've all gone forward, you've overcommitted and you've left yourself vulnerable. Um, that is a dangerous situation. That's a dangerous situation. I remember a coach that I worked with who has been well known for missing, not seeing goals scored by our team because he was so busy looking at the defensive structure that when we scored, his focus was on the goalkeeper and his position and the back two defenders, the central defender's position and where the fullback was and where was the deep line central midfield player. So that's how focused he was on not getting hung up. You know, make sure you know how many players are going forward. Know how you should respond at set pieces, etc., etc., so that you know how to deal with those game situations that are definitely going to come up. Know that your leaders on the pitch have authority and consistency and clarity and can communicate and know what to do. Because once people go over the white line, essentially, very often, it's their decisions. And that's how it should be, in my opinion. You know, it talks about in this chapter, it goes on to talk about different things beyond the terrain things, talking about looking at your players um, and understanding them psychologically and whether they're up for this type of terrain, are they up for this type of game, is it for them, or do you need your older heads in this particular game, or do you need your young bucks in this game, your energy and your enthusiasm and your naivety, what kind of people do you need, what kind of psychology do you need for this, in this territory, this game, this situation. So there's tons in this chapter, I haven't got time to go into it, there's tons if we're going to finish these chapters. Okay, the next one is the nine grounds and these are all the different types of fighting situations that people need to understand this book comes up with nine i don't know why it comes up with nine nine types of scenario that you need to get good at you need to understand and as a manager a coach a leader you need to know how to deal with these types of conditions they talk about the nine grounds for me, they refer to different types of conditions and situations. It's phenomenally interesting. It's phenomenally interesting. Knowing things like when to play certain players in different circumstances. Knowing where the opposition will be in disarray. Uh, knowing where you might have a complacency problem with your own players because of the type of game coming up. Knowing about the value of a particular game in comparison to another game. I think we have quite a lot of things like that in terms of competitions, don't we? What's the most valuable competition? Where does the focus need to be? Understanding within a game, once the game started, when you're probably not going to win and what to do about it. What to do when you're absolutely, totally under the cosh. Understanding about when it's actually possible, when it's the best decision to draw a line under something and move on and either try another strategy or to wait for the next game. Understanding how to deal with a team that will put you under pressure and how to control that in a game and come out of it victorious. And understand, it talks about in this when you're in a battle and it's a life or death situation and it results in something where you know you're not going to win and how to come out of it effectively or at least minimally unharmed and that relates to a previous one, I know, but it's a little bit of a different take on it. 
talks about being brave, disciplined and balanced, calm, orderly, authoritarian and simple, specific leadership relating to those nine grounds. Okay, we've got two more to do. This one is called fire attack. The use of fire must have a basis and requires certain tools that are appropriate times for setting fires. They use the term fire attack as almost a last resort. So it's something that they think, well, I shouldn't really be doing this because it's almost on the edge. It costs us. It could have devastating consequences for us. But if it's necessary, we need to be able to use it. So it's probably like having your key secret weapon. What's your key secret weapon? You can't use it all the time because it's not possible, but you can use it now and again, and it needs to be bought out when necessary. Maybe it's the super sub like David Fairclough in Liverpool's 70s and 80s team. Um, used to bring him on and used to almost be guaranteed to score. Not quite, but he used to have such an effect coming on and substitute. Who's your or what is your fire attack? What is your thing? Is it your striker who is an absolute maestro in front of goal? Is it your goalkeeper who will guarantee to get you out of trouble? Is it changing your formation so that you send five players up front for the last 15 minutes because you need to score a goal and you know how good you are? Is it your wing back who can get up and down and up and down and up and down? And if you've got two wingers like that, what is your fire attack? Is it how you approach games in the first five minutes where you do everything you possibly can to gain that goal advantage? Or is it your ability to counter-attack at absolute ruthless speed? Whatever it is, can you use it in a game? The last one, chapter 13, talks about the use of spies. So what enables an intelligent government, the quote from the book, and a wise military leadership to overcome others and achieve extraordinary accomplishments is full knowledge. Not sure this is so relevant in today's game, but it talks about information. A lack of information will leave you with a deficit in your ability. You know, if you have that information, you can use it. You don't have to use it, but at least by having it, you have the ability to use it. And forewarned is forearmed. You know, um, the number of times we went and set the dressing room up at a game and would ring back to the hotel where the team were and tell the manager what the pitch was like. And if there was anything about the situation that would cause us some concern. Um, so it's all about knowing what you're going into for knowledge, the power of knowledge. Um, as I said before, they used to send spies in and people to get information underhand and all that. I think today it's not so much like that because of the media and the world we live in with social media, etc. But being prepared talks about the knowledge and being prepared. So there's our 13 points from our Art of War, which I've gone into a very superficial coverage of over the, these two podcasts. This will be developed more into a book. It's already in a book form. It just needs to be extrapolated a little bit. Um, and, and some more detail put in. But in summary, we've got 13 chapters. Strategy, doing battle, planning a siege, formation, force, emptiness and fullness, armed combat, adaptation, manoeuvring, terrain, the nine grounds, fire attack, and the use of spies. Now, if you can get a little bit of knowledge out of that and apply it to your game, and you can get that small incremental percentage improvement in your performance just by applying the knowledge in this 2,000-year-old philosophy, I'm sure that um, that will only be a plus in your coaching career. Thanks for listening. I hope it's been some interest to you. I hope you've been inspired to go and find out a little bit more. And um, I look forward to speaking to you again. Rob Riles, Leader Manager Coach. <laughs>